What's up everyone? This is Mira Nassar, a podcast host from Asperify Mena. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are. We're all aware that mental health issues are increasingly becoming mainstream recently. Everyone is getting encouraged to take care of their psyche and seeking professional medical help is much easier to find nowadays. But has it always been this way? Unfortunately, the answer is no. That is why I'd like to raise awareness on that and give you a brief look into the history of mental illnesses. Fair warning, this podcast will tackle stories that aren't recommended for those who are faint of heart. Let's go back in time to the medieval period, where there wasn't even a notion of something called mental illness. Any form of mental or psychological illness couldn't be explained with anything other than witchcraft or curse. Let's take an example from pop culture, an absolute favorite of mine, Ninja Theory's Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice game. The game is centered around Senua, a Celtic warrior who embarks on a journey to save her lover from the clutches of Hela, the Norse goddess of death. But the plot twist here is that Senua suffers from psychosis, which means she suffers from visual and hearing illusions. She was shunned in her village and told there was a darkness living inside of her, a curse. But there was no curse and there was no darkness, just simply a hereditary mental illness. What's so revolutionary about this game is that you experience everything that Sadima experiences. The illusions, the anxiety, the depression, everything. The creators of the game made it such a realistic experience for the player that now you get to experience something you could have never experienced otherwise. It's truly an eye-opening experience. Now let us fast forward a bit to the 1800s, specifically 1887. Mental illnesses were acknowledged. They exist now, and there are hospitals specialized in treating patients with such illnesses. Such hospitals are called asylums. We went from treating men- mental illness patients like witches and cursed people to actually acknowledging their ill. It's a great step. I agree. but. It's not all sunshine and, ro- and daisies. As a matter of fact, investigative journalist Nellie Bly went to such great lengths to uncover the true gruesome happenings that never left the walls of the asylum. She'd heard rumors that conditions were terrible in the women's lunatic asylum on Blackwell's Island. There were no proof behind those rumors, so she decided to go undercover and investigate the asylum. Her plan was to stay 10 days in it, and her editor promised to get her out after those 10 days had passed. She was quite worried that it would be hard for her to fake being insane, so she'd be admitted. To her utter and complete shock, every doctor that had checked on her condition was convinced she was completely insane, and had to be admitted immediately. Her acting wasn't caught by those professional doctors. As soon as she was admitted to the asylum, she went back to acting normally, and that only cemented the notion that she was insane to them. The living conditions in the asylum were beyond terrible. The patients were barely given any edible food, nothing but old, dirty bread and spoiled meat. Bath water was icy cold. And during the night, women were given short blankets that couldn't even shield them in the freezing night. 
The doctors never cared and the nurses were nothing but cruel. The patients would be beaten if they misbehaved and more severe cases would be just tied up. There weren't any form of therapy done on the patients. They were forced to sit for several hours without moving or talking. Quoting Nelly's words, what, excepting torture, would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? As expected, some of those patients Nelly met weren't even ill. They were either poor or couldn't speak English, so they couldn't prove their sanity. The asylum was nothing but a prison to them. Nelly walked into the asylum completely healthy, walked out after 10 days with anxiety and depression. She wrote a book titled 10 Days in a Madhouse, citing all her findings in it. The book was a hit, and this led the government authorities to investigate the asylum. The asylum staff obviously tried to cover up the truth, and women who had talked with Nelly were moved to different asylums. The investigation was concluded, stating that the budget for those hospitals should be increased. There were many movies made in the 2000s that documented the story of this brave journalist that brought about some much-needed change. Moving on to our next milestone, the 1900s. An experiment took place between 1962 and 1972 called Rosenhan's experiment. In this experiment, eight sane individuals went to 12 different psychiatric hospitals. Those eight people included Rosenhan himself along with three women and four other men. These eight people would make appointments and complain to the doctors about hearing voices that said empty and hollow. Every one of those fake patients were immediately admitted. None of the pseudo-patients really believed that they would be admitted so easily, said Rosenhan in his experiment report. Seven out of eight of them were diagnosed with schizophrenia, and they were only faking one symptom of this illness, hallucinations. They never reported anything about their lives or any other symptoms. They even behaved normally in the asylum, but the doctors were quite confident in their diagnosis. Given that the patient is in the hospital, he must be psychologically disturbed, was the notion they followed. The medical staff treated the pseudo-patients poorly and never realized they were faking it. On the other hand, the actual patients had absolutely no problems to de detecting the frauds. You're not crazy, you're a journalist or a professor, the real patients would say. The participants of the experiment stayed in the asylums for 7 to 52 days, and they were released after the doctors decided their condition was in remission. Once labeled a schizophrenic, the pseudo-patient was stuck with that label, reported Rosenhan. Once this research was publicized, it created a controversy. More researchers replicated the experiment, and surely enough, they reached the same conclusions. The experiment resulted in adding more symptoms to the Manual of Mental Disorders, stating that there should be more than one symptom to diagnose a patient. This was yet another milestone added to our journey. Now for this part, we're going to use another pop culture reference. But unfortunately, this one isn't pleasant at all. 
a movie by the title of The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Nearly everyone has heard of this movie, but not all people know that it was based on a true story, the story of Annalise Michel. In 1968, Annalise was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy in her 16th year. This illness causes seizures, loss of memory, and hallucinations. By 1973, she was convinced she was possessed by demons. Despite the medical treatment, her condition only worsened and her behavior became more hysterical. Her overly religious parents asked priests to perform exorcism on her, but they rejected their request and advised them to continue medical treatment. After much begging from her family, the church finally gave the exorcism permission. She went through 67 exorcisms in the span of just 10 months, each exorcism lasting for several hours. She received no treatment during the, the exorcism. She had broken knees, fractured teeth, and multiple bruises and wounds all over her body. She became weaker and thinner, and by 1976, she died of malnutrition and dehydration. The two priests and her parents were charged with negligent homicide. The lack of awareness and education during that time caused a poor young girl to lose her life. The last milestone in our talk today is by far the worst and the most recent. It is supposedly a form of treatment that was used in asylums and mental institutions to cure patients. This procedure is called lobotomy. It is a form of psychosurgery in which most connections to and from the prefrontal cortex and the interior part of the frontal lobes of the brain are severed. I highly recommend you do not Google the specifications of the surgery. Almost all patients that underwent lobotomy came out nothing but a shell of their past selves. You might even call them zombies. In best cases, patients would be degraded to a childlike state. It is truly harrowing to think that at some point, doctors thought that this procedure actually cured any form of mental illness. I'd like to bring in another pop culture reference here, in the form of Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch movie. It follows a young woman who is committed to a mental institution and copes by envisioning it as a brothel. She teams up with four dancers slash prisoners to escape from her scheduled lobotomy. The movie is a truly a bizarre journey. But when everything settles back into reality, that's when things take a horrible turn. I won't spoil the movie for you, no worries. I took the liberty of checking when was the last ever lobotomy performed, and to my utter horror, it was 1967. In other words, someone who'd witnessed this horrifying procedure firsthand might as well be still walking among us. This realization made a chill run up my spine. We have truly come a long way since the discovery of mental illnesses. With each passing day, it's becoming less and less stigmatized, and that's truly wonderful. But what I was trying to remind everyone of is that you shouldn't be taking all of this for granted. Many people suffered for centuries, so you'd get the luxury of being safely treated of your mental illness. Honor those people by being grateful 
for their sacrifices. We've come a long way, yes, but we still have much, much more to do. Thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you check our content over Instagram. If you liked today's episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. 